0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Ho-Yoon Nam. I am an attorney with Stewart and Kissel, based in New York. I primarily focus my practice on banking and finance transactions in the shipping industry, usually on the lender side. I'm here today with five distinguished panelists, joining virtually from three different continents. In no particular order, I have Fang xiu from Bank of Communications. Financial leasing. Bill Guo from ICBC leasing. Evan Cohen from CIT. Evan Ulick from DNB. And finally, Jarius Chipokati of Citibank. Welcome everyone. Thank you. I guess we'll just jump right into what must be on everyone's mind. Um, COVID-19 coronavirus. This obviously is a uh, classic black swan event that no one foresaw coming. Even maybe just about a month ago, I'm not sure if we would have spent much time talking about it, but it is now having a major impact on every aspect of our lives, both professionally and personally. So I'll, I'll start with a general question. What impact is the coronavirus situation having on your current deals? From my personal perspective, for the deals that are near the finish line, there seems to be a mad rush to get them done for the fear that the window of opportunities may close, but the deals that are just getting started are slowing down quite a bit. Maybe we'll begin on the bank side. Um, Mr. Cohen, would you have a view
1: on this? Sure, thanks, Ho-Yoon. Um, I wouldn't call it a mad rush. So for the deals that are in process, we continue as usual. So we're closing and working on half a dozen deals now without any interruption to that. And there's another half a dozen transactions that we're, uh, we've been working on and will continue to process. It is fair to say, or fair to expect, that it will slow down a bit at the banks because we're all occupied with other business, coronavirus
0: related and systematic related. But so far continuing to do business as usual. Mr. Ulick, what's your view on this?
2: Yeah, I, I take a decidedly other uh, position than, uh, than Evan Cohen here. We are uh, in a in a re- very big rush to close out a lot of our existing uh, pipeline uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, funding cost. If, if you're not a, a dollar-denominated, dollar-long bank, uh, funding costs for the international bank community have uh, shot up uh, in very material uh, ways. Uh, we've seen significant weakness in kind of the wholesale funding markets um, for non-dollar denominated currencies um, so anything that is not nailed down uh, through a commitment letter or loan agreement uh, needs to be reconsidered from a economics perspective. The second is of course just the natural challenges of everyone working from home and uh, a lot of our Treasury operational client services and payment people Uh, Now being in remote locations, um, I think over time, uh, we have to see uh, the sustainability of that. Uh, We're in brave new waters uh, here, uh, both from a global macro economic perspective, uh, financial community perspective. Um, So we are very much in a rush to uh, to lock in our existing pipeline and uh, close out deals. We've also seen, uh, for banks that maybe are not as far along in the process, um, many syndicate partners uh, pulling pulling out of different transactions. Uh, as folks know on this panel, uh, time kills deals, uh, and and we are in a hurry to uh, to lock in a lot of our syndicated uh, facilities for the future uh, pipeline. I think there's an overall pause uh, going on right now as uh, the world assesses uh, the impact of. Uh, this terrible terrible situation um, I think if you absolutely need money yes you, you need to go out and find money uh, right now but if you are financing borrowers that are in a good uh, financial position I think most people are taking the pause and assessing the situation.
0: Mr. Chippucati what's uh, City Bank's view
3: on this? Uh, thanks Ian. For City as a global bank, uh, we have obviously uh, over a 1,000 clients who are now looking at what this COVID impact is going to be for them. And uh, as you might have seen from the newspapers, the initial rush was to get as much liquidity uh, as possible under their belts uh, before uh, others joined the queue. So there was obviously the airline industry and the cruise industry Uh, And then later, slightly later, with the um, occurrences in the energy market with Saudi and Russia, uh, the energy um, sector took a a little bit of a wobble. Uh, So we've had uh, a number of things happening in the last uh, few weeks that have uh, focused the bank's attention on, on generating liquidity for clients. And also as a large global bank, for us, it's very important that we continue to support our clients with cash management, trade finance, and other foreign exchange services, for example, all of which have been affected by the factors that Evan just mentioned. Um, And it is extremely uh, important for us that 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 base of clients continues to feel our impact in a positive way around the world. Now for shipping in particular, uh, yes, we are heavily weighted towards asset finance. uh, And as my colleague said, uh, there is a rush to close deals. But the reality is, I think this this uh, problem is with us to stay for a bit longer than most people anticipate. I think we're probably looking at maybe another year, year and a half. Uh, by the time the whole supply chain of the world sort of gets unjammed because of people issues, because of uh, working capital issues, liquidity issues, so I think we we need to prepare for the long haul for this. But uh, that's how we we see it for now.
0: Going back to what uh, Mr. Ulick said. Uh, you know, given that the macro level risk profile has now changed, is, is pricing going to be affected um, for your, your existing deals for, or for the new deals that are in the pipeline? Um, Evan, I don't know if you have a response.
1: You'll have to distinguish which Evan.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm fortunate to have
2: two Evans on the panel today. <laughs> we'll start with Mr. Ulick. Um I think, as I mentioned before, we've seen a real spike in uh, funding costs for non dollar denominated financial institutions. There's tremendous uh, pressure right now uh with investors selling their safe positions and um, if you look at a lot of the funding costs uh they've they've shot up to double digit proportions that incremental uh cost has to be transmitted through uh at some point within um uh, the funding cycle. Uh, it's not happening immediately, but, uh, we've seen a, a, a real spike. Um, very fortunately we have not had to go to the market, uh, and we're not paying up for, uh, deposits, but, uh, this is, uh, going to be a factor. I, I think the broader question, Ho-Yoon, is not about is pricing going to go up, but it's the, uh, it's, I think the question we're focusing more and more on within Maritime Finance, which is, what are the sources of capital going to be? Uh, This is another androgynous shock to the total sources of maritime finance capital. So I think, yes, in the main directionally, uh, pricing is gonna go up, but it's also gonna have a broader
0: impact on total liquidity for the space. So on that, um, maybe we switch to the leasing side. Um, which has been a uh, major source of liquidity in the shipping industry. Um, Mr. Fang from uh, Bocom, um, how's the mood in China? Uh, Are things back to normal now there? Yes, yes, you know, uh,
4: China takes some measurements uh, very earlier and uh, uh, after China, the new year, some people stay at home. Some people came to office. But now almost all people come back, resume works. Even uh, you know, just uh, today, even Hubei province announced the travel restriction uh, restrictions will be lifted uh, earlier of next uh, month. And so now in China, everything uh, come back, uh,
0: resume normal, and including CPS. Mr. Guo from ICBC, are you are you seeing reduced activities because of the current situation?
5: Yeah, we are slightly different. You know, compared with the phone and the Book of Leasing. I'm located in the Beijing, still the capital of the China. The station right now in Beijing is slightly different because there are more and I would say the you know the the cases happening right now in Beijing these days, compared with the Red City in China. The major reason because of the, you know, the passengers from overseas, they all come back, especially as Chinese students studying in the U.S., studying in the U.K., in Europe, they may be worried about the uh, coronavirus. And in those countries, they, so they feel like safer to come back to China. Of course, bringing in the more cases in uh, Beijing. So, and uh, right now, we're not 100% fully recovered right now in Beijing. For example, like financial street in, uh, in Beijing we only allowed 50% and, uh, employees uh, staying in the office, another 50% employee working home. So, you know, we try to and work in this kind of scheme to ensure the whole financial street and will be keeping it safe. And uh, I think that's the fundamental and the requirement from the central government. And one more thing about the China leasing house and uh, you know in the past 10 years, the China leasing house not only activity in the shipping finance, but also very actively in the aviation finance. So right now, you know, maybe we this panel session we're talking about the shipping finance. But I'm, you know, but unfortunately we have also to think about the you know the aviation finance as well because it also impact the liquidity, also the whole financial structure of the leasing company in China or maybe other leasing company also in the rest of the world. Um, because at least one third of income comes from the you know the aviation side. So overall, I would say, um, you know, this coronavirus, and uh, you know, I recall we have this kind of panel, uh, also re- uh, organized by the Capital Link um, back to maybe two months ago. So only and uh, the myself staying uh, in the home, and the rest of people still can really go to the panel, have the, this kind of discussion. But then two months later, you know, unfortunately, everyone have to stay at home, You know, use the, you know, this online channel, to talk to each other. So from our perspective, you know, like uh, the rest of the participants said about that. One thing we are not sure is about when this kind of coronavirus could be finished and could be vanished in the globally. So that you know the, would be impact hold the next step. So right now the Chinese shipyard started working, but it's the they only kind working on the existing ordering. But for the new booking and the new ordering, you know, had to be delayed or maybe had to be postponed. So this would be worried about the whole supply chain, whole globally. So that's something will be impact our business as well.
0: So are shipyards um, generally open and working in full operations? Um, obviously, you know, uh, you know, workers, they're working there, you know, there are big health risks. Um, I don't know if you have a view on how, how the shipyards are dealing with um, the current situation. Mr. Guo,
5: I don't know if you have a Oh. Okay. Um, for example, like we have the few shipyard, you know, we have the few ships have been delayed due to um, the shipyard issue, you know, because the, you know, all the new neighbors and the laborers come back, they have to like at least two weeks has to be stay stayed at the hotel, you know, for this isolation as required by the Chinese government. So this will be in the significant reduced, I would say, the labor force to supply to the shipyard. Um like a said about you know you know situation become you know right now become like a normal so the shipyard had to be the more and the you know the power force to in the speed up like say the you know the new building process but unfortunately it had been delayed in the past two months which means then um, the chinese and the shipyard had to speed up a little bit and to catch up what they lost and um, you know that's the whole situation unfortunately and the, we are in the beijing we haven't had the chance Really go to the Shibias and uh, you know, in China. So right now, we only can use the telephone, also this kind of online channel to talk with each other. But uh, you know, based on my understanding, also my communication, the shipyard gradually come back. So and they are fully, you know, almost one hundred percent full speed, you know, as they are scheduled before. But uh, again, you know, one thing I already mentioned, they are only working on the existing ordering. For the new ordering, unfortunately, they don't have right now on hand. So for them, then not that very hurry to finish all this order, you know, on hand on hand ordering, the existing ordering right now. So that's the current situation for the Chinese should be I don't know, Mr. Five, any further comment.
4: Uh yes. Yes, now you can see one more Shibiads have some uh have some some naming ceremony, steel cutting uh ceremony uh, and uh a or more workers come back from home to CPS to now. You know formerly many workers is from Hubei province and now they are allowed to come back. So that means formerly uh, about one and a half months ago CPS uh, op- uh, was opening but uh, not too many people, uh, workers come back but now uh, maybe already 80% is in place. But that's that's enough. Just like uh, uh, Mr. Gore just said, uh, there are not too many new bidding orders, just they just work down working on, on existing new bidding orders. So uh, the work is enough. Yeah. So
3: what
0: about defaults under your existing uh financing deals? Um are are you starting to see borrowers get into trouble already? Are you seeing more waiver requests for covenant breach as a result of the recent events? Um, we'll start with maybe Citibank,
3: Mr. Jibagadi. Yes, uh, look, I, I don't think anybody is um, in trouble just yet uh, in the shipping community. I think if we leave cruise aside, the cruise has had uh, well-publicized uh, issues. But I don't think anybody in what we would call traditional shipping has evidenced any real stress just yet. I think people are preparing. People are projecting the next 18 months. Uh, they're looking at what, um, uh, what could potentially go wrong. And obviously, uh, in those sectors where there are long-term contracts, uh, people are reviewing the contracts. Uh, whether there are spot market exposures, uh, certainly they're they are more concerned. Uh, but things like terminals, for example, we are uh, we are looking at various uh, distress scenarios where you know if, we, if there is a fall off in world trade along the lines of 20 uh, sorry 2009 2009 uh, that was an 18 percent fall in world trade and uh, the con- the condition of the uh, shipping market in those days was very different. People were weaker. Uh, now people have higher liquidity levels. The markets have consolidated. Fuel costs are significantly lower. Uh, and, and of course, the overall pie is much bigger. So, so I think it's slightly different for shipping this time, but uh, quite honestly, and I think this is no surprise, if this situation continues for longer than uh, three months, I think we are, have a significant, significant problem at all layers of uh, the shipping business.
0: What about you, Mr. Cohen? Uh, is any of your borrowers getting into trouble already? No. Um, Similar
1: to Citibank, at CIT, we have not had any waiver requests or borrowers that have gotten into trouble in the shipping space. Um, Working with them, uh, we have working with our 30 clients uh, proactively to see where they might get into trouble or some rough spots if this goes on for an extended period of time. Um, It's also been helpful that our focus has always been on the core sectors of tankers, uh, container ships, and bulk carriers. So have been somewhat insulated so far from the impact crews and offshore as felt. Uh, but so far, so good.
0: What about on the leasing side? Um, Mr. Fang from Bokan, are you are you seeing more waiver requests?
4: No, uh, so far we haven't uh, seen any uh, such kind of requests. Yeah, so far so good because uh, we have uh, about 40% is uh, container ships and uh, 30% for tankers and uh, only 10% for dry bulks And uh, maybe just uh, 2% for crews. So, so far, I believe we knew the impact is temporary and uh, only just uh, one month, two months, and uh, maybe uh there will be there will be serious impact for next uh, two or three months but uh, generally to shipping industry is temporary impact not a long term and uh, then after the virus uh, after the pandemic be uh, be be finished then um, the the whole shipping activity maybe will a little bit slow down but generally uh, it will be fine
0: So looking, looking toward the future, uh, it seems like at least uh, a few of you on this panel um, expect there to be lingering effects on, uh, on lending activities in general um, because of this uh, coronavirus situation. Um, do we think there's any chance that we're going to have a uh, V-shaped you know, recovery in the second half um, in terms of general economic activities? essentially fitting into 12 months worth of activities in six months from from June to December and everything is going to be just fine. Um, Mr. Ulligt, do you have a view?
2: When people talk about this potential for V-shaped recoveries, the underlying assumption is that the global population, the governments, the medical community, Will in very short order, uh, be able to get uh, a definitive handle on this terrible virus uh, and that, you know, within a two to three month period, uh, everything is going to go back to normal. I think that's the underlying assumption for a V-shaped recovery. Um, I, my own personal view is that this is going to last uh, a heck of a lot longer than two to three months. I, I think we will see the apex potentially of the, uh, the total infections Um, You know, maybe in that period of time, but at the current growth rates, I think this uh, terrible situation has the potential to really drag out through 2020. Uh, Shreyas uh, very astutely brought up the kind of comp that we have to the global financial crisis, which I thought is a very good and thoughtful comparison. And, um, you know, there was that whole restocking uh, trade of of, uh, 2009 in the second half where the whole world basically restocked. You saw the container ships start moving again. It was actually quite a breathtaking uplift within the economic activity. And I think ultimately that has to happen, uh, just given the snap back within economic activity. Uh, right now, if you're following the government's instructions, you should be effectively living like a hermit, You know, eating pasta and not going outside maybe only to walk your dog. Um, at a certain point, there is going to be uh, a pent-up demand uh, for people to um, spend money on capital goods, take vacations, um, and and kind of you know return to normalized economic activity. My only question is, what is the underlying assumption? And I, I do hope
0: it's uh, shorter rather than longer. Um, Mr. Good, would you have a view on this um, from an Asian perspective?
5: Yeah, you know, just back to your first question. So we do receive some kind of request about the waiver and you know, but we haven't been really deep the discussion yet. So, you know, my personal worry about maybe the, you know, if the station could last two or three months more and worry about those shipping companies, the cash flow also their equity situation. Um, Because in the past, you know, in the next few months, they wouldn't receive any of them, you know, in cash. So that generates some problem for their internal problem. So, worry about they maybe have some kind of potential in the default to pay back to the decent salary or also the OPEX, even for the you know, banks and the interest. So, that's um, we already start to worry about this situation. And I would say, you know, for the V shape and, um, you know, those people talk about the China, you know, could be in the, the new infrastructure and, uh, you know, the plan. Because people record the 2000 and 2008. And uh, when the financial crisis starts, so Chinese government released this and the uh, full trading and uh, you know, then maybe and then this kind of plan to really save I would say the shipping industry temporarily. And so people also hope maybe and this time Chinese government also released some new and say in the infrastructure and the planning. People talk about some maybe and even 20 trading maybe even five times bigger compared to 2008. But it's just a rumor has not been really confirmed yet. But in my opinion, maybe, and you know, if really something happened from China's side, so you know, for example, like for the dry bulk for the tanker side could be saved, and that really help because China still be the one of the largest importer for these raw materials, including like um, you know, all stone and the oil and you know, these kind of materials. So, if the China government really take those kind of action, it really help to save this and uh, the dry bulk, you know, and also tanker business for the container, you know, right now is China for more for the export market. It really depends on the U.S. or so the European market, when it really be fully recovered, so we, you know, the Chinese right now China factory already you know, fully I'm saying fully running, so they're could produce the, the, you know, the commodity. So it depends on the, um, the buyer side. So in general, so we are live the positive and uh, for the second half this year, for the shipping market, put this way.
0: I have so many more questions on this topic, and uh, we can probably keep going for another hour or two. But uh, uh, perhaps we switch to another topic. Um, leaving aside the effects of uh, this coronavirus situation, um, you know, maybe we talk a little bit about the availability of availability of financing and, and shipping. And Mr. Uh, Cohen. Um, and Mr. Ulick had mentioned before, um, you know, the question really is uh, where where uh, the liquidity is going to come from um, for the shipping industry. Um, so I'm sure you've been asked this question a lot on these types of panels. Um, what, what does a vessel owner need to demonstrate to your institution to get financing? Um, is it still just about cash flow prospects with a long-term charter? Um, If, for example, I have a vessel that's only 40% levered, um, can I refinance that vessel with your institution without any long-term charter attached? Um, We'll start with you, uh, Mr. Chupakadi,
3: Citibank. Thank you, Mr. Nam. Uh, Meta principles remain unchanged, Uh, asset quality, cash flow quality and of course i think uh, becoming more and more important in uh, in situations like this uh, uh, the character of who you are dealing with uh, these are these are things that become uh, super important uh, nothing has changed i mean we still look at uh, you know the, the overall capital structure of the borrower uh, you know the sensible uh, behavior that may have been evidenced in the past uh, and our own experience with the with, with the client because we don't typically break, take on uh, new clients. We work with a very limited set of clients that we've dealt with over many, mm-hmm. many years. And uh, we uh, study uh, effectively how that has worked out. So every new deal is really a, a layering on, you might say, of our past experiences plus the features of the new, new transaction. But I think that those are fundamental principles that, you know, I, 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 I think all of us employ.
0: Mr. Cohen,
1: I oh, fully agree. We start with the the focus will continue to be the asset type, um, the quality and skill of the owner and operator, uh, the cash flow. We will even more be looking at the, the break even levels and how they're supported. And you're right. You allude to and you say specifically, you know, long term charter is becomes more important. It's not exclusive. Um, that's it. So staying focused on those same principles.
0: Mr. Ulik, um, I guess to, uh, to add to my earlier question, uh, um, are there any particular sectors within shipping um, you are focused on or avoiding? Um, would you lend to a cruise company, for example? Um, we we do.
2: Uh, Lend to cruise companies, um, and I, I think that's a sector we're watching quite closely right now. Uh, you know, Shreyas used a very good uh, expression. I think uh, Evan Cohen backed it up. You know, nothing has really changed from uh, the tried and true principles of, of bank underwriting. You know, uh, these buzzwords of character, cash flow, asset, sponsor, uh, nothing has really changed here. Um, what has changed is the overall origination dynamics uh, from a cash flow and market perspective and potentially also the response of the owner. Um, I will just maybe take the opportunity to say that it's disappointing, uh, but understandable that the whole ESG conversation um, has been a little sidelined at present due to the nature and breadth of the crisis. I think Uh, certainly at the end of of 2019 uh, there was really a lot of momentum around uh, ESG and wrapping um, these ESG principles into banks origination um, considerations and I I think you you found a lot more traction with the uh, Poseidon principles um, and also how banks are working with their borrowers to overall lower the carbon footprint Um, Again. Quite understandably, uh, those those type of considerations have been reduced right now as we go through stress testing, liquidity analysis and trying to understand uh, the depth of this crisis. But um, I I will very much say that DNB looks for uh, management and owners that uh, abide by these principles and understand the direction of the energy
0: transition. Just on on the ES, the topic of ESG, um, do, you, do you think, um, Mr. Yulik, uh, um, do you see investor appetite in, in these types of loans? Um, you know, again, leaving aside the current situation, um, you know, are, are investors really interested in um, these types of environmental, social, government governance-oriented loans um, that are going to be good for the society at large, but perhaps um, not so great for um, yields perspectives. I'm not
2: entirely sure I, I agree with all the statements that you made there. Um, I think that ESG-related uh, transactions or ESG-linked uh, transactions um, provide a good bridge between financing Worthy companies with a uh, responsible moral compass uh, and also giving investors uh, exposure to uh, the energy transition and supporting um, a changing world. Um, so, I, I think on DMBs, staff, I think we're quite bullish towards um, kind of a higher proportion of ESG or ESG linked uh, lending or, or origination. I think investors are uh, extremely focused on this segment, uh, certainly more so vocally in Europe and, and particularly Northern uh, Europe. And the way that I describe the situation in the U.S. and from a U.S. capital markets perspective is you really see it from a uh, capital allocation perspective. Um, it is, you know, no coincidence as we ended 2019, some of the least invested uh, segments are also um, the, the, the brownest or the dirtiest uh, segments. Uh, we had a uh, investor presentation, and, and the cover of it was the Jolly Green Giant. And uh, if you think about the hot segments within 2019, uh, they were large, and they had green
0: influences. Uh,
2: so no, I, I very much think that uh, this ESG focus is here to stay. We need to get out of um, the burning building first, and I think after
0: that. Um, People will return to these principles. Um, what What's your view, uh, Mr. Chipukati, on uh, on this ESG um, concept? Um, as uh, As Mr. Mr. Luke says, um, you know, because we're potentially facing a recession here, and uh, um, you know, there's a um, perhaps a little bit more urgent um, issue to deal with. Um, is Is this all going to be out the door for now, um, or do you do you think it's a here to stay? Um, is this the way of the future, given the current future generations uh, focus on um, you know these types of um, issues?
3: Thank you, Mr. naman No, I, I agree fully with Mr. Ehrlich. I think some of the he's made all the salient points. I think we need to do get out of the burning building, as he as he put it, and then and then uh, you know get back to the normal whatever normal means uh, going forward uh, course of business but uh, i just want to make an ironic observation that this particular crisis has done more for the environment as far as i can tell from public uh, you know sources and what people have been saying that uh, you know pollution uh, overall consumption uh, plastic generation all of these things have fallen significantly um, and it's a, it's an ironic uh, sort of side effect of of this uh, tragic um, uh, situation but I do agree that overall, uh, it is something that, uh, uh, that we need to continue to force in terms of change, both at carrot and stick. I think, you know, I agree with Mr. Ehrlich that, uh, that overall interest will continue and that momentum will continue to build because it simply is something we have to do. And we are the people who can make that change. We are the ones who can direct capital, you know, in a responsible way, and we should be doing it. Uh, it is important that we put it aside, or or at least, um, you know, you know uh, work on it maybe a little bit less for now. But I think we will come back in in force.
0: Mr. Fang from Bokan, uh would you have a view on uh, ESG focused financings? Uh, yes, we generally
4: uh, support yes uh, ESG projects, and uh, also we can get uh, green uh, green project noise, uh, project financing the rates will be lower, so uh, our customers finally can get better prices. Uh, for for ESG
0: projects. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Maybe switch um to another topic for a little bit. Um. As we all know, LI- Libor. Um, is going to disappear in about a year or so um, what, what impact do you think LIBOR's disappearance will have on, on shipping loans if anything? Um, we'll start on the bank side. Uh, Mr. Mr. Cohen, would you have a view? Uh,
1: notwithstanding the current coronavirus uh, crisis, I think there was going to be a normal transition. I think your firm in particular was working on some of those transitions. So there is a base cost of funding, whether it's LIBOR or another definition that was already in the works. So I think it's, uh, I think that transition will happen without too much drama.
0: I think one of the concerns, at least on the owner's side, is that uh, uh, this is gonna involve a lot of paperwork and potentially um, there's gonna be some amount of cost involved, which uh, you know for the most part under typical loan documentation uh, would be uh, payable by the borrower. Um, have, you, have you had any borrower voicing these kinds of concerns? Um, they're worried that uh, this is going to add to their uh, um, expenditures? not yet no
1: and it's been somewhat superseded by events so if it was coming in the next few months uh, that's been delayed as well
0: mr hulick uh, have you have you had any concerns from any any of your borrowers um regarding LIBOR? i think uh, much
2: like mr cohen just said this at least for dnb has not been um a quote-unquote hot topic uh, I think we all know that it, it's it's coming down the road uh, but I think uh, it, it hasn't really been something that uh, we've dug into uh, institutionally and that's probably been pushed back it raises a whole host of questions however and I do think uh, it's not going to be a straight and, and easy path um, from an operations and administration perspective I, I think there will be Uh, issues. Um, We've also over the last couple weeks been extremely active on our derivative uh, desks. Uh, There's been a lot of good interest rate hedging activity going on and and just a very interesting question is if you hedge LIBOR for the next five years and you move over to SOFR, uh, what exactly happens with those hedges and how are those hedges uh, converted to SOFR? this is all uh, very much uncharted waters. I think technically uh, there are answers for them, but uh, we haven't seen that play out in practice yet.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you know all of those documents will, will eventually need to be amended, as you say. Um, you start with LIBOR and now LIBOR is not available and all we have is sulfur, which is different from LIBOR. Um, you know, how are we going to reconcile those differences? I think um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, whether it's uh, uh, LSTA TA or ARC, um, some of these uh, regulatory groups um, or industry groups, um, they'll they'll have to come up with mechanisms by which uh, you know these kinds of adjustments are going to be made um, industry wide, um, which is going to involve some amount of paperwork. Um, speaking of sulfur, you know, this is uh, um, probably the likely replacement um, to LIBOR. Um, on the U.S. dollar side, and uh, at least in other industries, um, there's starting to be a talk about um, using sulfur as the basis for interest rate calculations. Um, Would any of the institutions um, on this panel um, consider such a loan um, based on sulfur um, before it becomes much more prevalent in the industry?
3: Maybe Citibank, Mr. Um, I, I don't really have an opinion on 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 this. I think uh, from a, a more sort of client focused, if it if it makes sense, we'll do it. If it doesn't, you know, we have multiple lending entities across across the world and uh, multiple structures. I think getting into anything, uh, really, uh, the point that Mr. ulrich made. Uh, getting into anything at this stage is really about preparing for what the implications could be for unwinding things and future costs rather than what it looks like at the moment. Uh, So whatever happens, I think we'll take a deliberate and and sensible step towards it, if it makes sense. Thank you. Um, Unfortunately, I think that's about all the time we
0: have. Um, Thank you to all the panelists for their great insights. Um, uh, If anybody watching this had has any questions, please feel free to type them away, and uh, I hope everyone has a great rest of the conference. Thank you. Thank you everyone. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank, you. Thank you..: Thank you. Thank you.: Okay, bye, everyone. Bye Bye. bye.